You are listening to It's Midnight Somewhere with DJs Mistress McCutcheon and The Wasteland. It's midnight somewhere. It's midnight. Hi, this is Mistress McCutcheon coming to you from downtown Toronto. And of course, I'm accompanied by my partner in crime, The Wasteland. Who is coming to you from high above the ground in the clouds. It's weird living on the 31st floor, let me tell you. Going from underground to way above ground, it's weird. <laughs> the troll has left the hole. <laughs> My skin's all dried out. It's terrible. I had to buy a humidifier. I've grown addicted to lotions. <laughs> Lotion. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I guess if anybody hasn't noticed already, we have some housekeeping, which is going to be real brief. Um, we're going to be switching to a monthly format for the time being because life has, as they say, gotten lifey. Uh, for both of us. And it's kind of made things hard to figure out for the time being. So, I mean, we hope to return to bi-weekly uh, format as soon as possible. But right now, things are hectic on both of our ends. And with the two of us trying to figure out our schedules between streams and other commitments and podcasting, and if you got to, you know, we had to make a call. So we're going to come to you once a month until further notice so thanks for sticking with us and we appreciate your understanding in this yes because a couple of folks are like what's happening and uh did i miss something and it's like yeah we we kind of needed to do this and it's the right decision for now and in regards to the episode today what we want to talk about is horror because doing the prophecy streams it's kind of worked its way into our shtick and both of us being fans of horror movies, I figured this would be fun to talk about. Yes. So I, I guess we should start with how this worked its way into its shtick, into the shtick. And for those of you who weren't there on some of the very early streams, I think it started with, I think I got inebriated one night and just put on one of my Jason Voorhees masks. Because I have a, a couple. If, if you watch the uh, the stream, even the one that uh, Mistress McCutcheon here wears is mine. <laughs> well, it's funny because, again, I, I keep laughing about and joking how as DJs on Twitch, we've also become prop comedians. And it happened very organically because a lot of times DJing, it, it isn't terribly interesting to watch unless you're watching like DJ Spooky or somebody like super amazing techno DJ who is very technical and is doing a lot of different things on deck. Uh, goth DJs are not... They're, they're not as involved and they're not doing as much. And it's funny when you watch various streams and see what people are doing because there are people where you just get a big old shot of their face while they're mixing music. Some people have some background scenery and some uh, familiar movie clips going. And there's been a pretty wide variety of how folks represent their live streams. And we didn't want to just be sitting there. We wanted to be entertaining and engaging for our community. So the Jason Voorhees mask came out. 
I like using fans because they're very practical and they look beautiful when you're in a golf club and you start getting warm after dancing and drinking and spinning. It's great to uh, bust out your fan and fan yourself off. So now that's become a uh, that's become part of our routine for both of us. That uh, there's the Jason mask, there's the collection of fans that we've both uh, acquired with rude words on them, and because uh, you started with the mask and then you pulled out one of your machetes. I only have the one machete. Otherwise, I would have lent you one of those. But now you have an axe, so now you have your own bit. Um, but yeah, I was. Uh, I pulled out one of the machetes, and then I found the uh, the mannequin head a little later. Um, I mean, it wasn't the first shtick. If you remember, the, I think the first like shtick I did was I uh, showed up in a Deadpool mask because I had one of those. Right. That's true. That's true. And everybody's just like, wait, what is going on? And it was fun to keep people surprised. It was also the sweatiest, hottest, worst thing because I've got this polyester bag on my head as I'm standing there under black lights, which just kick out light like crazy. Um, it it was like, you know, five to ten minutes in that was like pulling off a gym sock. And I did a whole set in that one night, if you remember, with with the uh I have the uh the priest cape cowl thing. I don't know what it's called. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> these sort of priest vestments because we were playing off of prophecy and I mean just even the name prophecy for our club night came from sort of these vestiges of Catholicism and and having a one word name for the club and, and we a lot of our imagery started out with sort of this interest in the occult and of course cats uh, and that's fuck that's one of the best things about DJ live streams is being able to see everybody's cats. <laughs> yeah, it makes me want to get another video webcam just for the odd chance because um, uh, my partner's cat likes to lay on her little uh, mat that was uh, crocheted for her uh, under the black light when I'm uh, on streams. So uh, if she's there, I might I might end up having to invest in getting a, a, a cat cam. Yeah, because why not? People like cats. Everybody I have scars from this cat. I'm not picking her up ever. <laughs> That's just not happening. <laughs> hey, cats are diff cats are different and some of them are cuddlers and some of them are lap cats and some of them will just fuck off and do their own thing and don't care. So And some of them are rescues that have a switch that's invisible and they go from, yeah, that's cool to I I wanna I'm gonna rip your hand off with my with my valid. That's that's Jen's cat. <laughs> <laughs> so back to horror. Anyway, back to horror. So yeah, I got I guess now the, the this is a funny story and this relates to horror because um as you know, my name is Jason. For anybody out there who doesn't know. So I have a, a particular kinship with Jason Voorhees, hence the big fandom. But not only that, apparently my mom was originally going to uh, name me Damien and then found out um, and saw The Omen, which had come out about a year or two prior. Because, you know, the internet didn't exist then. Movies came out and you could just not know about them. That was a thing. So she decided we're not going to name him Damien. We're going to name him Jason. So that went smashingly. 
And oddly enough, if you recall, since we grew up in the same area, do you remember uh, Channel 11 Shocktober with all the cheesy horror movies every night of October? Yes. Yep. That is where, uh, because they would play Friday the 13th, like one of them almost uh, once a week or sometimes twice a week, there was a Friday the 13th movie on because there's just so many, <laughs> even yeah. even back then in, in the 80s and 90s. Well, that's just it about 1980s horror. That era of horror movie is really special because it... it it's a it holds a place for me as far as nostalgia goes. I remember I, I can't even count how many times going to the video store, like the local video store before Blockbuster came over and took over everything. But you would go to the video store and there was so much. There were so many horror movies available, like just stuff that you wouldn't necessarily know about in the movies or whatever. And it was always the poster art on the boxes that would just draw you in because they were brilliant. There were so many good posters, uh, like all the poster art for movies of that time. Like you'd see blood beach and Friday the 13th and then Saturday the 14th and like all these movies. And you're like, is that actually like, is that actually a whole movie? Like it, it was insane. Just this imagery. Cause nowadays movie posters are really boring and you just, you, you see a picture of the star and that's really it. But horror movie posters from the 1980s, fucking fantastic, super campy, super amazing. It, it, it's like all the, it, it's, it's everything that you want. And I can't even tell you how horror movies are helping me get through the pandemic because somehow escaping into fake horror is just a really nice reprieve from the real horror that we are living in. I remember renting movies based on the box art. And and the if you weren't there with the VHS, if you want to go up and look up some of these, the actually, if you have Shudder, a lot of them, they have a whole section called Slashix, which... I, when I get bored, just, I'm going to go find a slashic and I'll find something either I've seen before, or if I'm really feeling brave, I'll go find one of them that I haven't because a lot of them are total schlock. And it was very much a thing where they would just, it seemed like they would get a synopsis of the movie and then draw the, the movie poster without even knowing or seeing the movie. And a lot of these cases, the movie poster is better than the film. <laughs> because I remember uh, my favorite, and, and I had to go back and watch it because it's just so terrible. And I love bad cinema, which is why, uh, well, I'll get into that in a bit. But um, Chopping Mall. Do you remember yes! the poster oh for Chopping Mall? Yes, I was the, totally... The paper bag with Holy the slashes shit. in it and the body parts and it's held on by a robot hand. And then you watch the movie and yeah, there are robots chasing kids through the mall trying to kill them. But the robots don't even have hands. <laughs> Nobody gets dismembered. <laughs> Holy shit. I was... As soon as you said... The movie, the the movie artwork was better than the movie, or just didn't match the movie. That was the first thing that came to mind was Chopping Mall because nobody was being chopped in the Chopping Mall. They were all being lasered <laughs> to death, so it was totally not representative of the film at all. But it's it's the 1980s. Anything goes. Super decadent, super fluffy, and and that's why it holds a special place in my heart. 
So yeah, exactly. It, it's it's classic schlock. Yes. But but realistically, calling this movie a horror movie is even a stretch. It's a horror movie. It's got all the elements. There are, there are three or four major elements that that be, that have to take place in a horror movie. I've talked about this with with my partner because um, she's also a big horror buff. Now this was before they would do the man on fire bits, but I think they didn't do that in Chopping Mall. But the the, the three big ones are. Um, there has to be needless nudity for no reason. There has to be a scream queen and there has to be a man on fire. <laughs> yes. These are all Those valid. Are pretty, <laughs> these are pretty much the biggest ones. Now in the Friday the 13th movies, the man on fire is almost always Jason, but that's okay. He gets up. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there is always gratuitous nudity and always tons of boobs in an eighties horror movie. You just, you can't get away from it. It's always... it's always expected. I'm never surprised. It's like, yep, there's nudity for no reason. And that just makes me think of uh, Return of the Living Dead where um, Trash, her her character's name is, is dancing completely naked on top of a tombstone. And uh, apparently when they were filming it, they were trying to judge how they they wanted to do this. And originally she was a... she was totally nude, but then they were like, oh, we can't show pubic hair. So then they shaved her. And then, oh, now it's too much because you can see everything. So they had to give her sort of like a, they had to make like a, I don't want to call it like a merkin, but sort of like this plastic coverage. So she essentially would look like a Barbie doll. But she's totally butt naked in this film for like 90% of the film. And it's like, why... I don't know, like, you know, you've got sort of these misfit punk rock types that are hanging out in the cemetery partying or whatever. And like, she just randomly takes her clothes off and starts dancing on a grave. And it's like, I don't know any of my friends who are like that. And I don't get that at all. But it's the 1980s. So you get a pass. It was the 80s and they were paying her. Touche. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. (laughs) Uh. One of the big recommendations, though, that I have to make, because I feel like there are a lot of movies that I missed because I was too young and I just growing up as I did, um, I grew up in a Catholic household. My parents were pretty uh, tight about what kind of movies and things that we could watch. And because I was a child with a very overactive imagination, my parents would screen things. And if they thought it was too scary for me, they, they didn't want me to watch it because they knew I'd be up all night having nightmares and whatever. But, um, I've gone back and taken a look at various movies from the 80s, and one of the uh, helpful guides that I found that that's helping me navigate through what I should watch and, and spend some time on, because again, it, it's tricky to find time to sit down and commit to watching a movie these days if you've got like a zillion things going on, and of course, the distraction that is the internet. But there is a documentary called In Search of Darkness that's available on Shudder. And it explores the entire decade of horror movies. And Hmm. there's two parts of this documentary. They just put out part two. This documentary is over four hours long. It is awesome. Both of the, like, there's so much information in there. And they're talking a lot about the various characters, the poster art. Uh, in, In part two, they have a whole section about Italian horror movies and giallo horror. It's fucking fantastic i highly recommend it if you don't already have an account to shut uh if you don't already have a shutter account you should amend that because it's way cheaper than netflix and it's a rich resource of all sorts of different 
horror movies. It's also got a better selection. It really does. So good. Not to mention the Creep Show. uh, What's it? Anthologies they put out. Yes. Great. Great. If you're a fan of the classic Creep Show stuff or even the comics or even Tales from the Crypt, Creep Show is a little bit different. They definitely go for the creep factor. Tales from the Crypt was always a little bit of this and a little bit of that, I found. But especially on on the series that was on HBO because after a while they kind of reached. But Creep Show is mm, class. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Those are those are fun little morsels of of spooky shenanigans. So what what are some of the horror movies you've been getting back into? And like let's let's go with the 80s stuff and then maybe talk about some of the newer stuff and you know what to you makes good horror and what you're looking for in a movie. One of the movies that I knew I needed to catch up on, and again, it was based on watching that documentary In Search of Darkness uh, that helped guide me, was Maniac, which came out in 1980. The effects in it are crazy, fantastic. Uh, And the more that I know about Tom Savini, the more I love him because practical effects are awesome. Like they just, they, they really work for me, uh, in regards to, uh, delivering the story as, and, and doing something really fun because you know, it's like maniac is great in that it is very much a time capsule. You see New York in the 1980s, you've got tons of crazy, uh, uh practical effects, the, the guy's head being like shot off and basically exploded off like the 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 level of gore is 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 good a lot of the the devices in the movie are kind of standards it's like this is where they all rooted from like when the girl is walking down the she's uh, a nurse she's just leaving work and she's walking to the subway and she knows she's being followed like all those little tropes are get rooted back into this movie like oh she thinks she's she's safe that she's she's lost him and she's in the clear and then boom he's around the corner and he kills her but um that's one that uh that I was enjoying and uh again getting into some of the documentaries and finding out about what happened behind the movies and and how they were making them is really really interesting to me as well uh because I was looking up some pieces that on how they made the uh, Friday the 13th movies. There's some documentaries on um, Nightmare on Elm Street and the backgrounds for those. There's a, there is a documentary floating around that uh, gives you some insight on re- uh, the Return of the Living Dead as well, which because the, the one line out of that movie that just is amazing is when they've got sort of like the half zombie corpse with boobs, of course, because boobs, um, have zombie corpse on the, uh, strapped down onto the table and they're questioning her and she's explaining like why she needs to eat brains. And it's because of the pain. It takes away the pain of being dead. And that whole concept just was like, holy fuck. So, and plus the soundtrack of that movie is really fantastic because uh, not only is it known for that 45 Grave song, but uh, there's Stacey Q, which of course we know and love uh, because Two of Hearts is an ultimate roller skating song. Yeah, and, and it's really interesting to point out also with stuff like Maniac and the the um, the crossover from the 70s into the 80s when gore was really big. Um before it was more slasher, it was it was a lot of like high end gore, and 
that was because movie studios were like, hey, we're making money on horror. Horror is the thing. We got to throw more gore, more gore, more gore. And then movie studios did business things and business made a business. And then they started cutting away budgets and realized, hey, we could still make money without having to pay a whole lot. And that's when you end up with movies like Sleepaway Camp, which is, have you seen it? No, I have not. That is on my list. Okay, then I'm not going to say much other than the acting is painful, but the ending is, if you haven't seen it, all I'm going to say is watch it because the ending is kind of iconic and that's it. I'm not going to ruin it for you. No, I'm you not going to ruin it for anybody. Well, I I am because that's that's uh, actually, that's one of the two movies I can think of from the 1980s that it doesn't age well when you've got these transphobic elements. And where you make uh, trans people the the villains, because the other film that comes to mind that that uh, is also in that vein is Dressed to Kill. The thing with Sleepaway Camp, since since you brought it up, is I don't know that the character, like they say the character's trans, but when you watch the movie, it's kind of forced on the character. So. Uh... I'm not the person to say whether or not that is a representation of trans people in media because I am not trans. Uh, and but that I'm just suggesting that if if you watch it and you you come, I was of the opinion the first time I saw it that they were forced, they were forced into it. And yeah, I agree with you if it is a negative representation, but at the same time, it's representation. I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. Let's cut all that out. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what it, you know what it is. Um, it's funny because we both have a love of '80s horror for its nostalgic effects and its camp, and it's it's just fun. Uh, it's it's the slasher flicks and the gore. It, it becomes comical. It flips over into being so comical because it's that over the topness of like blood splattering. And like, I think about the scenes in evil dead where there's, they're using so much blood that to avoid like an X rating, they needed to not have red blood. So all of a sudden the blood is black and green and there's all sorts of different colored liquids Colors. oozing everywhere. And so that it's not just blood, but on the flip side of that, it's, it's, an interesting comment on where we've come from and, and where we need to go and the work we need to do because uh, there's certain films and certain things that don't age well that you watch from the 80s yeah. and you're like, holy shit, really? So Even from the 90s. Even from the 90s. Even from the 2000s. I mean, you go back, especially in areas such as horror and comedy and the way they present different people. Like, you know... First of all, if you look back, I was never a fan of the show, but I, I'm told that if you watch Friends today, a lot of it besides does not age well. They're making fun of a lot of different people on primetime TV, but that's that's a major digression. But yeah, that's there are two areas that don't age well on a common basis. Yeah, you know. Well, even some of those early '80 movies where rape is sort of the plot device it's fucked up like these are not yes. films that would be made today no that's false so many horror movies today still have rape in them it's awful it's just about just throw a dart at a rob zombie movie i guarantee you there's a rape or a rapey scene very mm. close to rape in it um you know uh he does 
good horror, but we need to stop. We need to stop uh, depicting women as the perennial victim, especially in that way, because it does more damage to the fans who are survivors. I agree. So we don't need to put people who have paid to see your art or movie or whatever you want to call it. If you're not calling it art, I don't know why you're making it. But uh, whatever schlock you want to throw up on a screen, somebody is paying you to see it. And then you're going to go ahead and do something like that. So that's kind of awful. Yeah, there's a there is a certain level of responsibility that uh, you got to have. I mean, making art is making a certain statement and uh, having a point of view. But, you know, you can say whatever you want. That's fine. But what you say has consequences. So what I'm saying is when Rob Zombie remade Halloween, he didn't need to add a rape scene or rapey scene to it. Uh, I see. Okay. Right. And so on, so forth, et cetera, et cetera. I'd just be repeating myself at that point. <laughs> fair, 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 fair. Well, let's let's move over into a different territory and let's talk about vampires. Ooh, yes. This, so this came up in a in a Twitch chat, I think, during one of your Psalms editions, uh, and folks were talking about all sorts of vampire movies. And yes, give me a vampire movie any day. Besides the the campy eighties horror stuff, uh, vampire movies take it so many different forms and so many different shapes. And yes, I'm all for it. Do you prefer your vampires monstrous or very much like in line with humanity or like the human monster? You know what I mean by the by that third one? That's a great the human monster is is like Lestat kind of. He's just a bastard in an interview with a vampire. So that's, that's the only one of those movies I've seen. That's such a but that's such a great question because there's so many different flavors of vampire movies that I'm always interested when somebody's got an original take uh, or has something different to say as far as the what a vampire is. You know, they're monsters, they're victims, they're you know sort of tragic figures. Because, of course, my all-time favorite vampire movie, although it doesn't necessarily... It's a horror movie, but it's more... It's a very sexy movie, is The Hunger. Okay. It is just a sexy vampire movie. Um, It's hard to, to say, oh, this horror movie, but it came out in 1983, has such a massive cult following, because, again, the, the first 20 minutes, you have David Bowie, you have Catherine Deneuve, you've got Bauhaus. And of course, the movie, uh, like David Bowie isn't even in the film for that long, but uh, it it becomes this very sort of erotic thriller with Catherine Deneuve and, uh, of course, Susan Sarandon. And uh, I could watch that movie like all the time, all the time. I mean, visually, it's it's stunning. It's again this nice capsule of New York in the in the nineteen eighties, and it's sort of these like sexy nightlife vampires. Okay. I haven't seen that, believe it or not. So I have a question about it. Sure. Was Bowie in it longer than he was in Zoolander? Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> uh, I I mean, I like... If you like that, there's a, there's a German vampire movie called... Um, it translates to We Are the Night. Um, my German is terrible, so I'm not going to try to pronounce that. But I know you know people that speak German. So you could probably ask them. Uh, (laughs) Because if I said it, it would be awful. Um, But yeah, that it's, it's kind of in line with that, but it's, it's all, um, 
it's kind of got also this whole like uh i hate to use the the word female but female empowerment thing because all the vampires in the movie are women okay so you might you might like that it's kind of in line oh we are the night wir sind die nacht is uh from 2010 so it's semi-recent okay that's one to look up that's that's an interesting one. See, in, as far as the monstrous vampires versus the human monster versus the ones that are like lamenting the loss of their humanity, I like them all if they're done well. Like the main character has to be done well. And of course, the, the one that does them all, the only movie I know that does them all with one character is Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's the only one where they depict him as, well, they never really depict him as somebody lamenting the loss of his humanity, but then at near the end, they kind of are, right? Because he's still trying to get Winona Ryder to ride him. Uh, <laughs> I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't avoid it. You couldn't uh, help like, yourself. Like a tr- that pause was, I, I saw the train coming and, well... <laughs> <laughs> but Bram Stoker, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula also has one of the best transition scenes in cinema. And that's when Lucy's head, decapitated head, is flying across the screen. And then you cut to the dinner table as the steak is being cut. It's it's just so gross and so perfect. I remember the whole audience in the theater groaned when that scene happened, that transition. It's it was it was really well thought. Was that the moment you became vegan? Oh. <laughs> Damn. Shots fired. Jesus. <laughs> hey, the, you know, it's it I can understand if you're like I'm never I'm not eating meat again after that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh there's so many good takes on vampires, especially when you get out well, when you get outside of the US they get a lot more interesting. And one of the ones I really enjoy was uh, Let the Right One In, the original one, which I believe is Swedish. Yes. I may be mistaken. But the, oh my God, the, the American one was terrible. Watch watch the Swedish one. It's worth the subtitles. It's It's so much better. And I'm not saying that because I'm one of those purists, but it's just... It's done better because they didn't have to worry about Hollywood. It's it, there's no you know stupid. What was it? Eddie Izzard said the the best the best thing about you know Hollywood getting a movie. It's you know it's a view of a lake, and then Hollywood gets involved and makes it. It's a view of a lake with an explosion, or and he kept going. But that's that's kind of what they do to this one. They took such a simple movie with the interplay between these these two people, these two characters. And then by the end, you're not even sure which one was actually the monster. I'll agree. Yeah, I I wholeheartedly agree. Let the Right One In uh, came out in 2008 and it's Swedish. There's such a poetry and a sweetness to it in how restrained the violence is because it's about two children. Because the the lead character, the the boy, uh, he's being bullied, Oscar is his name. Oscar is being bullied on a regular basis. He wants revenge against the guys who are bullying him. And then he meets the girl in the next apartment over, Eli, who actually is a killer. 
because he understands, uh, comes to understand and discovers she's a vampire. And they have such a strange friendship. And uh, she encourages him to stick up for himself when she learns that he's being bullied. And, and the movie just really explores that relationship. And there's, again, there's such a sweetness to it that you get to the American version, Let Me In, and they just want to hammer you over the head with it. It is so pathetic that they felt like they needed to make uh, an, an English-speaking American version of this film. Because, um, yeah, Let Me In came out in 2010, and I'm supposing that they just wanted to make a film because people were too lazy to read subtitles and couldn't handle a Swedish film, which is stupid. Yes, it is. But, you know, I'm one of those weirdos who will go to a movie and, and you know, I, I have watched movies with subtitles while sitting in the front row of the theater because it was the only theater in New York City playing it that I could get to easily. Right. And that that was kind of a horror movie. That was um, Brotherhood of the Wolf, where I sat in the front row of the theater in Astoria with, I, I basically had to sit, like slouch all the way down in, in the chair so that my neck could just rest the back of my head on the top of my seat so I could see the whole screen and read the subtitles. Right. <laughs> I... Yeah, I'm not I'm not opposed to subtitles. I don't understand when people get hung up on that because there's pl there's plenty of really amazing films and they don't have to be speaking English. Although that being said, there's the Iranian vampire film A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Have you seen that one? Iranian film came out in uh 2014. It's really visually stunning. But I find that a lot of Iranian cinema moves really slowly. And I feel like this movie is really beautiful, but it's it's a little slow. Little okay. little little too slow for my taste. But I seem to find a lot of that in in Persian films is that they, they just they're very slow. Which is almost the exact opposite of any Asian horror, which is if you love your gore. Find an Asian movie, trust me. I can't think of one where they've done... Because um, I know in, in many Asian cultures, they, they have a different take on vampires where they could feed off of any kind of life force mm -hmm. from having read books and things, you know, because I know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just play music. I read books uh, on occasion. But so they, they don't have vampires in the way that uh, North Americans or even Europeans would understand them um, directly, but they're, a lot of their horror, horror, if it's feeding on something, it's probably considered a vampire to them. So, but, and their horror is, whew, there's no holes barred. Everything's on the table. Uh, on a, but oddly enough, I've never seen a rape scene in there because they're like, why? why do we need that? If we could just like, you know, throw like 85 hearts at you at a, in a moment or something like like piles of blood like there is no x rating there for horror they're like yeah it's just whatever yeah i find uh korean films uh korean horror gets really crazy yeah yeah one if you have netflix uh there's a show that's interestingly done because it's it's a show called kingdom and it's shot in um it's set in uh, feudal Korea, so it's all like the king and the emperor and blah, 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 and you know people running around and this and this and that. And then it turns into this 
crazy over the top fucking zombie movie or like zombie show. <laughs> wow. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty damn good. I know we're talking about vampires, but you know what? You can't talk about one undead without getting the shambling hordes in there. And <laughs> they don't just shamble. They run you down in this show. It's pretty great. So if you if you if you like a little bit of sense of history, it's like a historical horror. Nice, nice. Yeah, because I'm uh, on on the vampire tip. I am in full agreement with you on let the right one in. The girl walks home alone at night is very slow. So if you're if you're interested in that, just there's your heads up that this is a slow one. I I I didn't particularly love it because of that. The other one that doesn't go anywhere for me, but again, visually stunning, is Only Lovers Left Alive, which is Jim Jarmusch's. Uh, vampire film that came out in 2013 and of course has Tilda Swinton in it who I love if you want to see a better Tilda Swinton film though I would recommend Orlando not a horror film but uh go see Orlando instead because it's freaking amazing and that's what made me fall in love with Tilda Swinton but Only Lovers Left Alive is really stunning and it's it just doesn't go anywhere it's like, okay, we know they're vampires and, uh, you know, her, her partner lives in Detroit among all his instruments and just, you know, is, is there during the day and, and can only go out at night and blah, blah, blah. Like it, it just, there's no story. Like, I don't know what's going, like, it's just very flat. So that's one I, I, I have to mention because it's beautiful, but it doesn't, it maybe put it on in the background. Maybe that would make good scenery as you're uh as you're DJing, you know, where you just get really good visuals and and um but yeah, no story. No, that's a good idea. But you have the projector. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> uh yeah. Uh so what about your classic vampire movies, which like I and when I mean classic, I mean the ones where we're talking about vampires and this is a goth talk podcast, so we gotta, you know, your interviews with the vampire, your Lost Boys, your there's got to be another one in there. I'm f- just fucking forgetting about. Oh, Lost Boys is is fucking fantastic. Uh, interview the vampire, yeah, those are those are definitely classics. The Hunger, of course, has a massive cult following because hello, David Bowie and Bauhaus. Another. Vampire movie that I think is a is a must see that is I think it's a lot of fun. It's it's more of an action film though than a horror film would be from Dust Till Dawn. Oh yeah. I was I was gonna say it was a collaboration between Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino, and it starts out like a Tarantino film, and then it's like you could tell like they got to the point where he just kind of walked off set and Robert Rodriguez took over. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Because the whole story, then, yeah, the whole story, it's it's amazing that way because it's very like, okay, there's two bank robbers and they're looking to flee and they end up in the strip club in the desert and then all of a sudden everybody's a vampire. Except for Tom Savini, who's actually in that. Yes! <laughs> With the fucking dick pistol. Yes! I remember that. <laughs> I remember that. It's fucking classic. Oh, So boy. good. Um, so good. Another good one I liked from about that time was actually done by John Carpenter, John Carpenter's Vampires. Have you ever seen this one? No, I have not. The vampires aren't the main characters. The main character is James Woods, 
and his Vampire Hunters, which has got a Baldwin in there. It's it's not one of the I forget which Baldwin. So it's <laughs> it's not Alec Baldwin. I think it might be Stephen Baldwin or Dickhead Baldwin. Who cares? Uh, but they're Vampire Hunters, and they're like. The vampires are like, it's kind of like The Walking Dead, where The Walking Dead aren't really the main characters. Okay. So the vampires, like, there's one vampire who's a big badass that they're after, but they've got all kinds of these interesting gadgets for hunting vampires. Like, the movie starts with them kicking down a door on a vampire den going in, and he's got a crossbow with a tow cable, and the tow cable hooks up to the, to the Jeep that they drove up in. So when a vampire charges him, he hits him with the tow cable and talks into radio and goes, hit it. And they just hit this crank and it just drags the vampire right outside in the middle of the daylight. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's got cool shit in there like that. Um, you know, so and then it's got John Carpenter attached to it. So if you like Carpenter horror, there's something to go for there. It's got a decent amount of blood. Uh, Storyline is... Uh, coherent because some of his movies don't have great stories you know vampires isn't the thing Mm -hmm. probably the top of his game if you want to talk about horror that's that's where i'm at for carpenter gotcha the thing have you seen the thing no it's on my list because the thing is that the thing is not no kidding it it's not on shutter and i haven't been able to find a copy of it see this is this is what's annoying about watching movies when you when you're trying to stream stuff online is that being in canada you have access to x y and z and then being in america you've got access to abc x y and z like the you end up getting geo-locked by rights to movies, which is just fucking annoying. Because I remember- It's th- extra annoying if you use Amazon Prime. Ugh. Because Amazon Prime will be like, hey, you can rent this. And then you rent it. And then you're like, okay, you paid for it. It's not available in your region. Are you fucking kidding me? I wanted to watch Airplane. This happened to me two days ago. I'm a little bitter. Ugh. <laughs> well, it's just so fucking annoying. Because even with like, you got to get VPN to- find certain movies and stuff because I remember the early days of Netflix when they actually used to mail DVDs and you could get access to anything and now it's like oh we only have it online for a limited time or if they don't have rights to a certain movie and it becomes way more complicated to find stuff because then there's another movie that I would love to be able to find online that I saw at Fantasia several years ago now Fantasia let me tell you what that is It's a film festival that takes place in Montreal in the summer. It's usually around the tail end of July, early August. They never really announce it that well in advance. You just kind of have to have it on your radar and then get tickets. So it's a genre movie festival where they'll have all sorts of different things. It's where I saw the uh, Germs biopic, uh, What We Do is Secret, uh, they aired that there. They had they have a variety of really awesome movies, and you just kind of take a look at the schedule and see what you can catch while you're there. One of the movies that we managed to watch several years back was called Midnight Sun, uh, and it's spelled S O N, not like the Sun, but it's um, it's a story that takes place in L A. of this guy who's a security guard by night and he lives in isolation by day because he has a rare skin disorder that makes him very sensitive to daylight. And uh, the whole story there is really interesting. It's a good modern take on vampires. And I've mentioned it and folks are like, 
I've never heard this before. And I'm like, if you can find it, find it. Go watch Midnight Sun. We're going to have to keep that one in mind. Yeah. I I just I, that I took that away from uh from Fantasia and it's really stuck with me although it's one of these films that I I can't find it online. I'm going to need more more hunting to do online to find that one. In regards to vampire movies, I think those are some really good choices if you can find them. Um there was another film that someone had mentioned called The Addiction that has Christopher Walken in it that's a vampire movie. I have not seen it. It came out in either 95 or 96. That's one I think that needs to be on the radar and we'll have to take a look for that. As far as the other undead, we got to touch on it. Zombies. What are your must-see zombie movies? Well, I already mentioned Kingdom. Mm -hmm. You got to see that. And then after that, um, can't go wrong with early Romero. I don't really like it once it starts getting into the late 90s and zombies started becoming uh, vogue or chic or whatever the fuck the word is. Trendy. It's, it, trendy. it's super trendy. Oh, God. They've, they did they get trendy. Like, The Walking Dead show was... It was a better comic book. Just read the goddamn comics. Ignore that, ignore that fucking show. Um, and Fear of the Walking Dead I haven't even bothered with. Uh, I'm trying to think... Jesus, I mean, the original Night of the Living Dead is probably still my go-to. That's the only movie I've ever had a nightmare from. Because I saw it when I was like eight, because it was on AMC, because it was black and white. So my parents were like, whatever, it's black and white, it's not gonna... And that's the only movie that's ever given me a nightmare. (laughs) And my parents were, were as strict as... As yours were, because my mom was like, you can't watch that. Why? Because it's rated R. It's not for you. Right, right. And it was just, there was that was the logic. That was it. It wasn't even that she would screen things. It was just done, done, done. You're not 17? No. I don't care. Blah, blah, blah. You know? So I, I've gone back and watched a lot of these things, or I saw them on TV, but the Night of the Living Dead, specifically the scene where... Um, I don't remember any of the characters' names, but she goes upstairs and there's one zombie eating another zombie. And I was eight years old and I had fallen asleep for a little bit. And then it had gotten loud because, you know, that that's what it did. Mm-hmm. And uh, she goes upstairs and the zombie's eating somebody's something. And that shot, because I had just woken up and didn't really process what was happening. Oof. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> That that's the one shot in movie history that has ever given me a nightmare. <laughs> so well done. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I think in zombie territory, I highly, highly recommend The Girl with All the Gifts. If you have not seen this one, it came out in 2016. It's British. And it's about a near future where humanity has been ravaged by this disease that uh, turns everybody into what they call the hungries into these mindless zombies and they have a bunch of the, these, these hungries that are children that they've kind of um, corralled together and they're doing experiments on and they discover a very exceptional girl among the bunch. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really, really well done zombie flick. I did put that one on and it was during the first lockdown, I think it was. It was on Netflix. It might still be. 
and uh, I got 45 minutes into it, and then I realized, oh, wait, I just put on a movie at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I should go, probably go to bed. Uh, and then I just forgot to go back to it. So I guess I'm going to have to go back to that one and finish it. Yeah, I totally like, recommend it. If you like your offbeat comedy or offbeat zombie movies, Fido. Have you ever seen Fido? No. It's set in an alternative universe, like 50s or 60s, and where they have domesticated zombies after a break outbreak. And Fido is, you know, zombies take the place of dogs. And Billy Connolly plays Fido, their house zombie. Billy Connolly. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the comedian. Holy shit. Okay, yeah, I have to see. I love Billy Connolly. Yeah, playing a zombie. Amazing. Okay, Fido? <laughs> yeah, Fido. I just remember that one because it's it's offbeat. It's more of like a dark comedy, but it's it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, you know, it doesn't get the recognition Shaun of the Dead did, but Shaun of the Dead kind of like the end scene where you see him playing video games on, on the on the the fucking collar and the chain mm. that's directly lifted from Fido. That's the type of crap you would have seen in that movie. Noted. So okay. So if you like, if you can deal with horror comedies, because I know some horror fans are like a horror comedy is an abomination. And I'm like, no, no, no. It's it's two great tastes that taste great together. Nice. <laughs> it's like it's like chocolate and peanut butter. It's like they chocolate and peanut butter. To work together. Yeah. That's mm. right. That's right. I said that last night and you were uh, everybody was on board with that. Because Gotham Industrial, it's like chocolate and peanut butter. They belong together. There you go. Absolutely. There you go. And you can have all the horror because there's so many different little subgenres and 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 branches on the horror tree. I, I mean, again, I think our hearts lie in the 80s. But uh, you got your vampires. You got your zombies. You've got some horror comedy. Don't be afraid to read subtitles. There's some lovely, lovely things happening in other countries that are... Again, it makes me annoyed that they had to remake that film. Why the fuck would you remake? It makes me annoyed when they remake a lot of good... Like, they're remaking Train from Busan in the U.S. And it's like, you can't remake that in the U.S. Our trains are literally a quarter of the speed and stop every two minutes. <laughs> Jeez. Like, they're not you, even a quarter of the speed. They're they're like, oh my God, they're so slow. Well, it doesn't make any sense to remake a really good film. Like, you, you, you use a remake as an opportunity to fix what was wrong in the original. You don't remake a film just because you think your audience is too lazy to read subtitles. I, I don't get it. That you, just that that you don't remake a film because the thing that was wrong with it was it was made in another country. Ugh. But by the way, speaking of zombie movies, Train to Busan. Have you seen Train to Busan? That's on Netflix. I have not. Have you seen that, Black Summer? I have. Black Summer is really good. I actually have because our producer was like, "You have to watch this," and then I did. There was another. There's another zombie movie, another Asian zombie, Korean zombie movie on Netflix that I'm. Just, forgetting the damn name of it um i think it's um i must survive i think that's the name of it okay and it's it's about a, a kid he wakes up and like he's just playing video games and he's not paying attention to the phone or anything he's doing what i would do on my day off and then he looks outside and like the world's gone to shit and he's the only one alive in his apartment complex <laughs> damn <laughs> so uh i related to that one but it's 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 pretty good it's pretty good 
Um, and it's, but it takes a very modern take on it because like the world's gone to hell and there's a bunch of people in apartment buildings here and there that are alive. And the only way they connect to each other is through social media. Ah, so it's showing people like on social media, you know, trying to let people know that they're alive and I, I'm here. If you could come get me, uh, this is how much supplies I have and stuff like that. And that's how, that's how it starts and it develops from there. And then, uh, of course, Train to Busan is about a bullet train, uh, you know, in Korea that um, as a zombie outbreak happens. Now, zombies in, in Korean movies and TV all run. They all have like mental faculties and full physical capabilities. So it's a little terrifying how fast it spreads in their uh, cinema. Mm-hmm. Same with kingdoms, same with uh, I must survive or I will survive. I, I, I'm blanking on the exact wording because I haven't eaten dinner yet and I'm sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Train to Busan it amps that up by having like zombies running down this bullet train as it's going from city to city. And then the outbreak gets onto the train and it's just like car to car. It's crazy, and it's all really about the relationship between his father and his daughter as they're taking this train ride. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that one's on Netflix. Check that out, because um, Korean zombies are cool. Yeah. Yeah, there's... That's my final word on that. <laughs> there <laughs> there we go. Yeah, there's, there's, a lot to, uh, there's a lot to digest in here, but I hope that... Uh, in having this conversation it's just scratching the surface uh as far as where you may want to dig into some films and and maybe investigate something that you haven't seen before uh because again i've taken some stuff for granted just because uh at that at the time it came out i was too young to see it uh but going back and and viewing it as an adult is is really interesting and it's fun to to see that also, what's really cool about horror movies is uh, some of the very quotable bits uh, to use for sampling, because I've been throwing in some samples uh, here and there just to see who picks up on what and and uh, have some fun with it. Send more paramedics, which is brilliant. <laughs> well, last night, last night I threw in uh, as a transition in between songs. Uh, I threw in, "Hey." I'll swallow your soul. I'll swallow your soul. And then he like <laughs> steps on her great. head and swallow this. And I'm just like, yes, I need this in here. Cause sometimes you need a good transition and I've overused my thunder. Yes. Cause I literally hit the button too much and everybody's like, Oh, there's lots of thunder happening. It's like, yep, I'm transitioning a song. I can't keep relying on that sample, but I love it at the same time. And I'm cheesy. So what else is new? So you just cycle it a little less. That's all. Exactly. All right. I think it's time to eat so some think, dinner. Yeah, I think that about wraps it up. So, of course, uh, you could always hit us up on, you know, social media, Facebook. It's Midnight Somewhere Podcast. You can hit us up in Gmail. It's Midnight Somewhere Podcast at gmail.com. You can drop us a line just to say, hey, uh, let us know how you feel about us going monthly. Uh, it doesn't matter. We're still going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> of course, we would like to thank Marion Green for our artwork. We would like to thank Robin Bright for our music. We would like to thank Justin Minister for twiddling his knobs and then twiddling the knobs on the board as well. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> Lord Almighty. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Twiddle that knob, Justin. Um, 
Not yeah. too hard, though. You don't want to be too rough, Trey. Uh, Goodness gracious. Okay. Well, that and, and okay. if we've missed a film that you're like, hey, wait, this is actually uh, should be on the list and, and have a recommendation for us, let us know because we're happy to have a conversation about it and give us some feedback. And besides, Jay didn't tear into any uh, agrotech fans today, so uh, I think we're, we're winning. You know, it, my whole stance on it is this. I like some agrotech. But I feel like it's been done. And if you're making Agrotech in 2020, it's not 2005. There you go. It's 2021. I need to eat. I just forgot that. Whatever. It's still March 2020. (laughs) We're still in lockdown. Fuck everything. Fuck everything. Time has no meaning. And uh, we're just grateful that you're listening to us uh, yammer on about fun shit. And uh, let's let's, uh, go make some fake blood and uh, throw it all over the place. All right, we'll talk to, we'll talk at you later. Bye. Bye. It's midnight. Summer. It's midnight. It's midnight. This podcast was almost called Fuck Everything.